I have lived in Giles County my entire life. Some of you, of course, may not know where Giles County is. It is a small community in the southwest region of Virginia, located right near the Virginia state line from West Virginia. Giles is known for the popular spot Mountain Lake, as in the classic movie Dirty Dancing was filmed. The number of times I have seen that movie, my goodness. Anyway, back to the main topic. The county consists of five towns, Glenlin, Narrows, Pembroke, Rich Creek, and the one we will reference in the story the most, Parisburg. Giles was established in 1806, which was named after House Representative William Branch Giles. The area has a population of near 16,800 people. If you think about it, that's a fair amount of people. Though, do they know about what I have researched for several months? Do they know about a horror story that happened here in these so-called parts? The dark, twisted tale of a Giles County resident that committed the worst act of all. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking about the Giles County serial killer, Randall Lee Smith. My name is Justin Smith. Are you ready to look through the cryptic files? Part 1. As we discussed previously about Giles County, we haven't discussed another reason why it is popular. I am talking about the Appalachian Trail. Giles contains 50 miles of the trail as it passes through the county's centerpiece known as Parisburg. Spring is the highlight or the perfect time for hikers of the nation to travel. The Appalachian Trail peaks through 14 states on the east side of America. Georgia to Maine, or vice versa. Learning about the hiking culture, I have read and heard from hikers that if one is to complete the trail in a single season, they are considered through hikers. However, there are many challenges in the journey for such a prestige title. Physicality, weather conditions, threatening wildlife, and even the worst animals of all. Humans. Let's take it back to 1981 with the murders. It was spring, May to be exact. Robert Mountford Jr. and Susan Ramsey were in their late 20s with careers in the field of social working, helping with the mentally incapable. Their trip on the Appalachian Trail was for exactly their work in hopes to raise money for a school Robert's mother ran in Maine. The two met and hit it off. Speculation of them being a, a couple was rumored and written in the 1984's novel Murder on the Appalachian Trail, written by Jess Carr. The book contains factual events of the story, but also fictional moments. With this podcast, I hope to tell the truth as best of my knowledge. The two met up on May 9th, as they had already begun the trail. 
and needed to finish the 150-mile journey to Parisburg. Sadly, their lives would be brutally taken on May 10th by the hands of pure evil. As they arrived at the Wapitu shelter, they decided to rest for the night and arrive in Parisburg the following day. While resting, Robert would be shot in the head three times as Susan would fight for her life while being struck in the head and stabbed over a dozen times. How terrifying would it be, awoken from a deep sleep, viciously attacked for no apparent reason by a sick, disturbed human being? This sick and disturbed human being was none other than Giles County resident, Randall Lee Smith. Growing up in the community, Randall was known to love the outdoors. He enjoyed being in the woods, searching for arrowheads, as some have said. He didn't fit in to the social life. He kept to himself, but things seemed to be on his mind often. Randall was born on June 29, 1953. He lived with his mother, Loretta, at Ingram Village in Parisburg. She worked in the maintenance department at the Giles County Memorial Hospital. Loretta treated Randall a certain way, meaning she used to force him to wear female clothing growing up. Reasons I have no damn clue. Back then, it was frowned upon for a man to dress a certain way, but being forced is a whole different discussion. Randall's parents divorced when he was only six so months old, and from the information I gathered, Randall's father is or was still alive and started a new family. Randall, as I said, was extremely socially awkward. He did have a best friend, his uncle. He would take young Randall camping in the woods. From the window of his room, he would look out as the Appalachian Trail was near his home. Randall attended Giles High School but never graduated. In the 11th grade, he dropped out and pursued a career in welding. The long, dark-haired, pudgy young man traveled to Newport News to work at a shipyard. He returned back to Giles to live with his mother, Loretta. The community would know him as Lion Randall. For some reason, he picked up an obsessive habit of lying and making up stories about having a loved one or a family with children of his own. John Spar, a Parisburg garage owner, would take him in for here and there welding jobs. He often lied about a large sum of money he had or a new job waiting on him in another state. All were lies. Randall collected pornographic magazines and laminated the pages in his room. He would often disappear from society for weeks and show back up, people not knowing where he went or he would just lie to them saying, I went to see my woman. Or, I went to work down south. Randall's broad fantasy didn't fool the people he interacted with. When asked to elaborate on his life, he would do his best to be vague just to get by the questions. He wanted to be a certain person, but could never achieve it. His obsession with lying would cross paths with his obsession with the Appalachian Trail. May 20th, 1981. Randall, age 27, was wearing what was said a fatigue shirt, brutally murdered Robert and Susan as they laid resting at the Wapitu shelter. Randall used a 22 caliber revolver 
to shoot Robert in the head three times. After he caught the two by surprise, Susan fled as Randall followed her. He struck her in the head with what was said to be a piece of iron. Dazing her, Randall pulled out a combat knife, similar to the knife Sylvester Stallone used in the film Rambo, and began to violently stab her. Susan, fighting for her life, had defensive wounds on her hands and arms. Unfortunately, she was not enough to survive as Randall was much larger and stronger. There were bruises around the vaginal area. But did he commit rape? Time will tell to know the outcome later. Randall had to think fast. Or did he have this all planned out? He took the deceased bodies and wrapped them up in their sleeping bags. Randall covered up whatever evidence he thought at the time would cause suspicion. He buried Robert and Susan at separate areas around the shelter, shallow holes with brush and leaves covering them. Randall then fled. Several days after the horrific crime, hikers who met or were friends with Robert and Susan discovered the shelter. They began to wonder that something may have been wrong as they planned to all meet. The hikers glanced at the shelter's floorboards and realized it was smeared with what seemed to be coal mixed with a reddish color, similar to blood. It was discovered that the signing sheets or logbooks on the trail around the area were missing. Randall must have taken the books to complicate the tracking of Robert and Susan. The worry of Robert and Susan grew tremendously. After realizing that the two didn't make it to the town of Harrisburg, the hikers reported them missing. Officer Tom Lawson and other investigators began their search for the two missing hikers. One of the hikers told Lawson that a strange-looking man was with them. Days went by as 40 rescue workers and cadaver dogs searched for the bodies. May 30th, Lawson and several other investigators continued to search around the Wapitu shelter, discovering a large amount of leaves. They began digging and found the body of Susan. The following day, one of the dogs found Robert's body about 100 yards away. Lawson later announced that the two had a large meal the night of and drank an additional amount of rum, insinuating that the two were having a nice evening together. But the evening took a turn for the worse. Other evidence, Susan had a camera, but the film was ripped out. Would this mean that the three of them took a photo together and Randall knew it would be a bad idea to leave the film in the camera? The big factor in finding out who committed the crime was the bloody fingerprints on one of Susan's novels she had in her bag. The documented fingerprints would be traced and revealed it was indeed Randall's. His prints were on file when he went to work in the Norfolk shipyard. The only thing investigators had to do now was to find him, but Randall was nowhere close. During the search through Randall's home, they discovered blood-soaked jeans, and from discussing earlier about the laminated porn magazines, they also found hospital instruments that he must have gotten from his mother at her time working at the hospital and formed them into sex toys. The last thing that was found in the house was a note saying something of the lines of I've been kidnapped by two people and I'm gonna be killed. Okay everyone, this is where things get uh, coincidentally beneficial. Officer Lawson grew tired of the investigation as there was no new evidence or findings of Randall. He took his family to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina late June to take a break from the case, but he was only following the case 
Authorities took a man in, who said to have amnesia and didn't know who he was. Lawson was contacted and went to see the man. The man seemed confused and had several insect bites all over his body. Lawson was determined to find out his name. He persuaded the man to sign a consent form to get the insect bites looked at. That is when the man wrote the name Randall Lee Smith. Lawson knew and said, we had him. Randall was sent back to Giles County and was interrogated with the evidence, but all he said was, I don't want to talk about it. Commonwealth attorney Hezekiah Osborne agreed to Smith's attorney on a plea agreement. Smith pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 30 years. The families of Robert and Susan agreed they didn't want Randall to get the death penalty because it would go against their religion, but they didn't want him to ever get out of prison. Robert's father said in an interview, I don't want it to sound like I sympathize with him. After all, he was a murderer, but he really never did have a life. And what life did he have? He made up. As the bargain outraged the community, protesters were shouting outside of the courthouse. They knew it was a terrible decision. And indeed, it was, because of what was coming in the near future. As Randall was locked up for many years inside a prison cell, his thirst for blood never left him. The community of Giles County would soon hear about his name once again. Okay, guys, as I said, um, for this podcast, I'm going to be traveling to um, places that involve, that relate to the case. And um, I went up to Randall's old house, and it's pretty rough looking, I'm not going to lie. Uh, well, it's it's abandoned. But before I uh, looked around and took photos, I walked up to one of uh, Randall's old neighbors, and I knocked on the door, and... Sherman Smith answered. He uh, he asked me to come into his house, and I, you know, conducted an interview with him, and I have it recorded right here. So this is Sherman Smith talking about his time living beside Randall Lee Smith. And I apologize for the uh, bad audio. Hi. Um, my name's Justin Smith. I'm I'm writing a story about Randall Lee Smith. Um, do you know if that house like is owned by anybody? Well, it's a kind of a long story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you doing a story? Yes, a podcast series, kind of like a radio show type thing, audio story. Uh, okay, come on in, man. Okay. It's a long story. Okay, thank you. Okay. Okay. They've done that movie a long time ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was in that thing. Oh, were you? Yeah. Nice. The house, what what I understand, Mm -hmm. the house, his cousin was supposed to got it, Ronnie Morris. Okay. But uh, 
in the meantime, uh, they did mow the yard, do a few things. They got the house next door, which was Randall's uncle and aunt lived in. Mm-hmm. And they, they ended up selling it to my neighbor over there. But Ronnie and Judy thought they were supposed to get it. But I understand that they found out that his daddy was still alive in Maryland. Wow. And had ch- children. Wow. So that ended that, and it's just been setting, and it's about to fall down. Yeah. But now Ronnie Mars, in this out Bain, uh, was going to sell it. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but um, that's what I understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl at the beauty shop, they told me they found out that he was alive. But Randall told me that his daddy left when he was six weeks old. He didn't know. That's what I've gathered from researching. About six months old. Mm-hmm. He was a very strange damn dude. <laughs> uh, I had the ideals with him. Talked to him. But when, when he was growing up and when he started... Uh, big, I guess you probably heard him. People called him L.R. Lion Ram. Lion Ram. He, yeah. he can't tell the damn truth. <laughs> but he was with. Uh, he had a nice about a '78 two-tone green Ford truck. Mm-hmm. And I'd be mowing or something. He never would speak. But when he come back from prison, hell, he talked my damn ear off. Really? I mean, I, if I was out mowing or anything, mm-hmm. uh, he'd stop and talk and and. Talk about everything. Of course, he always said he was innocent, but uh, he wasn't innocent. Uh, How long have you been here? Oh, I've been here. How long he's been born? <laughs> really? Yeah. This house? Yeah. Well, I built the house started in '75, and I finished it up in '77. Mm-hmm. But I lived right down there in that other house when me and my wife got married. We'll okay. We'll be married 57 years uh, next month. Congratulations. But uh, um, Loretta. His mother was, well, she, she was probably just a nurse's aide or something. I don't think that, I think that's what I read, nurse. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he never did, oh, he claimed he had a girlfriend in the fire, but he didn't have no girlfriend. Mm-hmm. He said she flew in, stayed up for a couple of weeks with him, but he, he, did, he, he didn't have no girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, uh, what, what, do you, what else? What do you need? Um, you got anything well, particular you want? So you said he was different when he came back from prison. Yeah, he, he would. Uh, I mean, he, we talked a lot. Yeah. Of course, he always told me he was innocent. And I told him, I said, well, if you served that time, if he was innocent, but he, he wasn't innocent. But he's guilty as shit. <laughs> well, when I when I was doing research and read, it seemed like a lot of people weren't that afraid of him when he came back. Found out when they found I out. wasn't really afraid of him, but I was uh, a little weird and leery. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, no, he bought a new. Uh, now, the bunny, his mother saved up everything she could. Mm-hmm. She knew one day to get out to help him. Well, I know, I know for a fact that one time uh, they put her mail in my box, and I didn't realize it was from the bank. And I opened it up, and I think she had $19,000 some dollars oh, wow. in her checking account. Mm-hmm. But she, when she died, he got, he, that was what he was living on. But he told me one time that he was drawing $2,100 a month from the Navy. He never was in the damn Navy. He, uh, 
he worked at the shipyard for a little while mm-hmm. in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. I do, I know that. But uh, he never was in no navy, and and he bought a new rod mower. But when he left, it was up there in that building, and he had uh, he destroyed, he took, cut all the wires, and then, uh, I mean, took a battery out and put it somewhere, and and then he was. When they came uh, asked me some questions, uh, I, I told them uh, I hadn't saw him in about two months. Mm-hmm. I read, and he just went up in the mountains and lived. Him, him and Bo went up in the mountains and lived all night. He ran out of money. Right. He hadn't paid his water bills or electric bills or nothing. He didn't have no money. Mm-hmm. That's what what it mouse said. Yeah. And he went up there, and uh, of course, Dillsville Parish were somewhere up in there where he killed the two people on the Appalachian Trail. And everything, but the house, I think it's got a big old hole in the porch, what I understand, and it's falling apart. Since Ronnie found out that he wasn't going to get it to fix up with everything, I think he more or less abandoned it. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, Ronnie is his cousin, not, Ronnie was adopted, really. Right. He is daddy Lee Rover uh, at that time. Uh, it was born, and his aunt that lived next door was they were brothers and sisters. Uh, Ed Morris and Bernice were brothers and sisters. Ken, of course, they're all dead now. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he was, I don't know, he was a lunatic. <laughs> Do you think maybe he, because uh, apparently there are several missing other girls uh, from the Appalachian Trail. Do you have to, yeah. do, you, do you think maybe he... Oh, I... I wasn't about it basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I heard about, I didn't hear about tape. I heard, did hear he had different kind of paintings. Yeah. Different. He might have got them off the clothesline of, by hell, he might have got them off our clothesline. So we, we had one then. We we had three daughters uh-huh. back in those days. But uh, he was strange what, to say the least. Was he strange towards them? I don't think he did. I mean, I don't think he even had a conversation with him. Right. I don't think he was. Did you ever read the uh, book by Jess Clark? We had the book, and uh, I read part of it. My wife had read it. Of course, she's at the beauty shop right now. Mm-hmm. She read it, the Murder on Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. We probably, I think she's got it here somewhere. Right. Growing up, uh, his mom, Loretta, made him wear female clothes. Did you hear about that? I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't hear. Didn't hear that. There's a few articles that I've read where uh, I don't know where they got it from, who told him that, but they said Loretta used to dress him up as a, like with female clothes yeah. at a young age. I, I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But now, like I said, he talked my ear off. I could. I when I go out and mow or something, and he would talk. We talked about everything, and he'd. A lot of different things, but uh, mm-hmm. but he he told me you know naturally that he was innocent and he served what did he serve fifteen years? I think it's yeah plea agreement yeah, fifteen years. Wasn't damn enough, but yeah exactly. But, now. Uh, my brother is dead now. Mm-hmm. Was with the rescue squad, and if I remember right, it's been a long time ago. My brother was was one of the window fur and she, one of the bodies was quite a bit up in the woods behind a log, mm. if I ain't mistaken. Really? 
And he said that he didn't think there's any way Randall did it by himself. That he um, could have, could have carried that body and done things that he done. I probably don't believe Randall could have done that by himself. But I, that's just his his thinking. But of course, my brother's been dead for years. In 1988, I believe it was. Really? Um, did you ever talk to Loretta a lot? Uh, yeah, my wife used to uh, ever. Every Christmas, she would make uh, Bernice and Loretta and them. Uh, it was some kind of cake that you roll roll up in a ball. What's it? Uh, she used to make them a cake and take up our ever cheesecake. No, no. Uh, but maybe not. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. That's uh, uh, but. I don't know a whole lot about Loretta. Her Loretta's daddy lived with Bernstein for a while, Mr. Morris. Mm -hmm. I remember him going to the mailbox, but like I said, I didn't know much about him. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he want to talk to you, but the person who knows more about him than anybody is John Spars. Because he seemed to be a big part in Randall's life from the articles I've read and in the book. Yeah, John Spars, uh, well, like I said, I'm, I don't, I never talked to John, John much, I, you know, but he inspects my vehicles. I know John pretty well, but mm -hmm. uh, he's the only one that uh, I knew that he hung around with. I don't know who else, mm -hmm. but... Uh, But uh, he he told me, John did tell me, he said he went up there mm -hmm. after he came in and said he acted like he didn't know him. Yeah. And he said, uh, wait a minute, let me check my list and see if you're one of the people that I can talk to. I don't know if he had a paper or not. I don't know if that's from prison. Yeah. And he said, yeah, you're on it. But uh, he acted like he didn't know him. But, uh I don't know, it's kind of suspicious, but anyway, he said that, uh, I think he might have went up for a couple of times, but he told me that uh, about the he was on the list. He acted like he didn't know him, but mm -hmm. uh, I'll see if he's strange to be an understatement. Yeah. Because um, I was wondering if I was able to just walk up on the land, take a few photos of the house, but... Um, well, I, I don't see anybody going to stop you because they, yeah. there's nobody comes around anymore. Ronnie and them did have, in fact, they had it let it grow up one time. So that's, uh, they got Ronnie Bartley, uh, got up here with a big brush hog, and he brush hogged it. Mm -hmm. And they just keep it clean. And uh, there is, there is some land above my land that belonged to, I guess, I don't know who the hell it belongs to them because it Alan and Bernice Kinsler, his uncle and aunt, lived there, mm -hmm. and uh, it belonged to them. And I guess they thought they would get it, but I guess they gave up on it because uh, I didn't know. Uh, this was quite a bit after he got home that I was told. I don't know if it was she's the, the beautician. I mean, they used to cut my hair. I don't know. If, if somebody told her from there that he was still living and had been married and had other kids, mm. 
And so Ronnie then gave up on the, uh, I guess, trying to sell it later on. Right. They thought they had it, mm-hmm. that, that it was theirs, but it turned out to be. Now, Randall thought he was going to get this house over here, too, mm-hmm. but Ronnie got it. Right beside it? Yeah, the house that's beside it, which belongs to my neighbor right across here, okay. they, they bought it from. When Burnus and Allen died, Randall thought he was going to get it, but Ronnie got it. Mm-hmm. And he sold it, and they had a big, big falling out. Oh, well. I kind of a little threat and this and that. Mm-hmm. But uh, he claimed that he had a, a girlfriend that flew in here. It was up there about two weeks. He asked me if I saw that his truck had moved upside of his house. and But then he told me later on that she died. Mm-hmm. She was... I don't know where she was supposed to be from, to be honest with you. Said she was just walking down the hallway in the hospital and and had a heart attack, or whatever, and died. Mm. But she didn't exist. Yeah, to be honest with you. But to my knowledge, he never had a girlfriend. Right. And I do know he, he did work away. In uh, he worked at Norfolk to shipyards for a while, mm-hmm. supposedly. And of course, he, he talked about he had a Navy pension. He got twenty one hundred. So he told me he got twenty one hundred some dollars a month from the Navy. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he never was in the Navy. Yeah. But he, that's the only that's the only job I know he had. But he was like I said. Uh, I mean, he wouldn't even throw up his hand at me mm-hmm. when he was here. And of course, he ended up in Myrtle Beach in the damn swamps. I think. Yeah. When they when they. Got him at uh, I know they tore his uh, the truck they they tore into that mm-hmm. sun visors and everything else looking for stuff and everything I don't know what ever happened to his truck right? yeah I, I don't know uh, he, it was a uh, I'm pretty sure it was about a '78 model real nice mm-hmm. it was almost new yeah. I didn't really know him until I do found out more about him after he came home yeah like I said that. Uh, he was a jabber job sometimes. Yeah. That's interesting. And of course, my wife didn't think, you know, never said anything you know, like to him or anything because he's, uh, yeah, of course, naturally he always said he was innocent. Yeah. And I told him if uh, I did mention, I said, well, if, if you was innocent, I, I can't imagine much any worse than you spent prison time. And, mm-hmm. But he didn't really get enough, evidently. No. Because he didn't know doubt about it. He, he tried to kill them two people and stole their truck. And, of course, mm-hmm. and add to them. But now, I don't believe for one minute he had a girlfriend up there. Yeah. I mean, he said he went and picked her up at Roanoke, off plane, and she was a nurse. And, and then, of course, she conveniently was young and spent two weeks up there. And it wasn't long after that, he told me that, that she died. Mm in the hospital in the hallway somewhere. I was in the, seemed like it was in North Carolina. Right. But he he was a... I wonder if that's just a made-up story that he oh, heard sure maybe is. from his that's mom working at the hospital. Yeah, he, he, uh, he didn't have no girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm positive he didn't have no girlfriends. Mm-hmm. But that's what he told me.
Well, guys, that will do it for part one. Um, yeah, pretty crazy first start. Um, I'm excited for part two. It's going to get crazier. Uh, <laughs> that's for damn sure. Um, you do not want to miss part two, the conclusion of this story. Um, I cannot wait. And um, just stay tuned. Thanks for listening. And um, make sure to follow me on Spotify. Rate me on Apple iTunes. Uh, spread the word around for this podcast because uh, it's going to get creepy. <laughs> Thanks, guys.